0: One for three. One for three? Or yeah, one and that's two? that's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby.
2: What's going on? Welcome to episode number 718 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, May the 25th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com and uh, basketball. New episodes every Thursday. Go check it out with myself and Katie Heindel. Today's podcast and every podcast this month on the entire Locked On Podcast Network is brought to you by Built Bar. Please make sure you're going to BuiltBar.com using the promo code Locked On NBA, excuse me, just Locked On, and you're going to, need to get yourself a, uh, a fancy little $10 knocked off your price of your first order of built bars. We'll talk more about built bar a little bit later on in the podcast. Meanwhile, on the cross across the lockdown podcast network, we got lots of great stuff for you to check out what ifs week or what ifs fortnight continues on as uh we've got lots of great stuff across the board from a bunch of different hosts and shows across the network including some other great interviews and things like that and some more touching episodes too i'm going to personally recommend an episode of locked on mlb the host paul sullivan over there our boy sully did a great episode talking about his father and his father who's you know gone into uh kind of a deteriorative state health wise and sully kind of talking about their baseball relationship and there's actually audio and included in that podcast of Sully and his dad at a San Francisco Giants game in 2014. If you want to cry, which everyone wants to cry once in a while, go listen to the Locked On MLB episode with Sully. I believe that dropped on Monday. So go listen over there. Uh, all right. On today's show, we continue What Ifs of Fortnite here on Locked On Raptors as well. We've talked a lot about uh, things that may or may not have happened, had certain things gone other ways in Raptors history. And one that I, did not really occur to me to, as something to talk about, but one that I'm now pretty intrigued to dive into was suggested by today's guest, Vivek J. Jacob, Vivek, how are you? I'm doing well.
3: Um, The weather's a lot better, so the walks have been a bit more enjoyable, although Mm. it's been a bit more challenging in terms of maintaining the physical distance. Um, And, yeah, I mean, with the sun out, I think it's just got everyone's mood up, and hopefully... It looks like there might be a a light. I mean, we always knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. It just seems like it's closer than it was before. I mean, we still have to be careful. We're seeing the numbers kind of spike back up. But
2: yeah, it just feels
3: like we're through at least the hardest part of it.
2: It does seem like that. The weather I thought was going to go one of two ways. Either it was going to extremely bum people out uh, or it was going to sort of perk moods up. And obviously people need to be uh, not stupid and uh, be careful with what they're doing out there, but I uh, I think, hopefully, that the sunbeams coming into living rooms everywhere is helping people with their moods. It's certainly helping mine, for sure. Uh, that is until we uh, dive into today's topic, which is dark and sad and depressing. Uh, of course, the what if that we're diving into today, suggested by Big V himself, is what if Jorge Garbajosa does not get hurt against the Boston Celtics in game 70 of the season back in 2006-07, the year where Sam Mitchell wins coach of the year, the year. The Raptors become good again. What if he doesn't get hurt and uh, derail the Raptors' playoff lineups in a very significant way? Vivek, what was the impetus for you to want to do this game? It's a pretty interesting one. Uh, or Not this game, this what if. It, it's, it's fascinating. It's kind of an under-the-radar one that I hadn't thought about. What was the reasoning behind you wanting to talk about it?
3: Well, I guess for me, this was the first playoff series that I got to really witness in full mm-hmm. um, since coming to Toronto. Uh, I mean, I kind of caught the tail end of that. Uh, when when the Raptors went out in five games to uh, Detroit and Chris Childs had that crazy moment. But other than that, you know, this, this would have been the first one uh, where I got to experience completely. And so it's kind of always been a what if for me. Um, as you know, I've always been a big Chris Bosh fan since that's, you know, the era that I really uh, started to enjoy the Raptors and consume them pretty much. Uh, With all my time outside of university. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think this is something where especially when you look at the fact that Joey Graham takes over the starting role uh, for Garbosa, I think there's quite a big disparity in terms of what could have been for the Raptors.
2: Oh, you're saying Joey Graham hadn't figured it out yet? He's still going to. Don't worry. It's coming soon. Next year is the year for Joey (laughs) Graham, baby. But, uh, yeah, no. 07 was not Joey Graham's year, as uh, no year to this point in human recorded history has been Joey Graham's year. Um, So let's get into Garbo. Of course, Garbo came over. He was sort of one of the wave of European guys, along with Jose Calderon and then Anthony Parker as well, coming over from EuroLeague in the first year, or like the first era with Brian Colangelo kind of running the team, Maurizio Garrardini as the assistant GM. And that was sort of their way of kind of circumventing the anti Toronto sentiment among American players in the league and the sort of lack of interest in coming and signing here. And it was, you know, in fairness to Colangelo who I'm sure we have opinions on that are not exactly positive. That was a pretty good way to go about it, I think, and kind of, a bit of a revolutionary way to look at things for a franchise that had really struggled to attract talent until that point. Do you remember sort of your feelings when they brought in all these guys? I remember feeling uh, a little bit nonplussed by it because I had never heard of them before. And, you know, I found myself getting much more excited for the Chris Duhon offer sheet and things like that before, (laughs) before uh, like that, this era of basketball kind of kicked off for the Raptors. But obviously these moves by and large worked very well. Jose Calderon, a franchise legend. Anthony Parker was excellent and probably underrated during his time and Jorge Garbajosa, you know, I don't know where he would have fit in if his career didn't get derailed by that horrible knee injury, but he was a really, really nice player and really fun to watch and just sort of a, a very the European flair he brought to the team was delightful. Do you remember your sort of feelings on these guys as they came in that season?
3: Yeah, I did. Uh, enjoy all of them together in terms of the mix. Cause I thought, you know, there's almost shades of uh, the wheat, the North version of that, that went to the playoffs in 2013, 14, where, you know, you just had a bunch of guys that fit in really well. And I thought Anthony Parker was exactly the type of compliment, complimentary guard that you needed um, next to, uh, you know, whether it was TJ Ford or Jose Calderon starting um, and, you know, his three point shooting, um his, Late clock shooting was pretty awesome as well. Uh, and Garbajosa, I mean, that, that, that was like the ultimate glue guy. It, he fit so well. It just made smart basketball plays. And I think that's what Colangelo was going for with that roster, where you just had a bunch of smart guys every year that he's been in the league. So he kind of just knew how to win. And that's what the Raptors needed at the time. So um, it was kind of a roundabout way of tackling free agency. Um, in the NBA, but I think at the time, considering the Raptors standing in the league, it was something that needed to be done. And it was pretty creative on Colangelo's part, uh, teaming up with Maurito Garardini to do that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He did have a lot of, you know, very European stylings to his play to Garbajosa. And you mentioned the glue guy thing. I mean, that was, he was kind of like point forwardy a little bit. He never took away when he was on the floor. Maybe he wasn't the greatest defender in the world, but I don't think, you know, anyone on that team was hanging their head on defense necessarily. And the offense really, really hummed when he was out there. And I, I just remember, you know, he would have, you know, these five, seven assist games and he'd sort of augment the playmaking in a really nice way. Uh, A very, very pleasurable player to watch play basketball. We're going to continue this conversation about Jorge Garbajosa and what might have happened had he not gotten hurt in 06-07 in just a second. But first, I want to tell everybody about Bilt Bar. Built Bars are the protein bars that taste like a candy bar. They are the best protein bar you're ever going to taste. 16 amazing flavors, 8 chocolate nut flavors, 8 chocolate nut-free flavors, and a whole bunch of new flavors on the way. You may even be able to find those flavors already at BuiltBar.com. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew as well. No sticking it in the microwave to make it edible. No gritty, sandy flavors or anything like that just a good ass tasting protein bar built bars are great and healthy for the health conscious person as well. Lose and maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein and high fiber peanut butter Brownie. For example, a delicious flavor has 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, three grams of sugar and three grams of net carbs. And the mint Brownie, Probably my second favorite flavor after toffee almond has 15 grams of protein, just 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. And uh, all across the board, Built Bars have 7 times less sugar than Cliff Bars. 7 times! 7! That's so many! Go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BiltBar.com. All right, Vivek, let's, uh, let's get to the injury and sort of where things are trending at this point. The Raptors are, you know, going to win the division. This is a very bad Atlantic division. They're going to be guaranteed a top three seed at this point. And they go to Boston to play a game against the Celtics. And Jorge Garbajosa goes down horribly on a fast break, I believe. And it looks bad instantly. He's ruled out for the rest of the season. He never really recovers. He comes back for 7 games the following season is pretty ineffective and that's the end of his career in the NBA and he never really regains it in Europe either when he goes back overseas. And so the, the effects on this are, like you said, pretty important for the playoff rotation in particular. Garbahosa was uh, a very valuable member of that team. He was, uh, again, the, sort of like a glue guy. And then I don't know if we say Joey Graham is the opposite of glue, but he might have been. He was kind of rubbery. Uh, and <laughs> like it just, it did not work out with him subbing in to start. Do you remember your sort of. Encro- encroaching sense of doom when Garbajosa got hurt. Did you did you have that? Were you feeling optimistic still about Graham and his prospects? What were your thoughts at the time?
3: Uh, I definitely felt that it was a big loss, and especially going down the stretch, you're at that point where you're getting excited for the postseason, and you're seeing what this team can do. It, like they just kept getting better and better as the season went on, and you know, it, it, I think either way they finish up with the third seed, um, but. I think that was a big loss. And then I think the thing that frustrated me, I remember going into the playoffs, it was constantly just, you know, why is Graham ahead of Mo Pete in the mm. rotation? Um, that, yeah, well, once the injury happened, it's like, okay, you know, how are you going to deal with this? And it never made sense to me that Joey Graham was ahead of Mo Pete in the rotation.
2: Yeah, that uh, that was certainly frustrating, and I think kind of uh, sowed the seeds of Morris Peterson's departure from the team as well. Uh, you know, I don't think him and Sam Mitchell really saw eye to eye all that much. Uh, right. So you get to the playoffs, you have uh, Joey Graham starting in the postseason against the New Jersey Nets, who are a pretty good team at this time. The Raptors were the three seeds, so the Nets were only the six. But like, it's one of those. It's kind of like a the the Nets of twenty fourteen where. The Nets weren't great that season either necessarily, but they should have been a lot better, and they were excellent to close the 2014 season. And, yeah. you know, they, they they certainly had the talent on hand to win a series. And so it was like a bit of a, a toss-up of a 3-6, if I recall. The Raptors lose game one, of course. Duh. Uh, <laughs> never not going to happen. Uh, they win game two. 89 83. They lose a couple sort of blowouts uh, by 13 and 21 in games four and five against the or sorry, three and four against the Nets in New Jersey. They win back at home in game five to make it three two. And then, of course, we know what happens in game six. Jose Calderon trying to find Chris Bosch with an alley-oop late in the game. They're down one, turnover, series over, and uh, we all get depressed and sad about Vince Carter beating the Raptors. Um, if Jorge Garbajosa was involved in this series, do you think the Raptors win it? I, I have my doubts considering you know the talent that was on that Nets team, but I'm curious what you think.
3: I actually do think they win it because I think – um they were kind of during the headlights in that game 1 uh i remember chris bosch picking up two fouls early uh just cuz he was so pumped to be in there and you know you see that all the time with uh people going through the playoffs for the first time where you know they're either too excited or they're not you know amped up enough where they you know they're trying to take it too easy um and sort of ease their way into the game and bosch was on the other end of things and so um, i thought that put the raptors behind the eight ball in game one. But after that, I thought they played really, really well. Um, and especially in this game six, uh, it was really frustrating to see them lose, not just the way it ended. Like that was, um, you know, I thought Chris Bosh was incredible. And then I remember uh, TJ Ford, you know, I think he was dealing with some injuries going into that game and uh, you know, no one knew whether he was going to play, whether he was going to start what the deal was going to be. And then he ends up uh, coming off the bench and I, I thought he was great. Uh, and both the point guards really uh, impacted the game really, really well um, considering how well Jason Kidd have played all series. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I struggle to see how um, Garbohosa doesn't, doesn't change the dynamics of that series. Cause you're pretty much going to Garbajosa starting and then Mo Pete still coming off the bench. I don't, I don't think Joey Graham sees much more time at all. Um so, uh, yeah, 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 I do think it hurt the Raptors in that sense, um, even more than Mo Peete making that shot against the w- Wizards that ultimately cost them playing a Wizards team that would have been <laughs> without arenas. And uh, I, think, I think Butler would have been injured for that series too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, a strange twist of fate with, with Mo Pete hitting that shot. I think we talked about that actually on our Mo Pete shot and Michael Ruffin episode with, uh, I believe, Joe Wolfond. On the Patreon, not long ago that we re-released, but uh, yeah, it's tough. Like I guess it comes down to a question of whether or not the trade-off of Joey Graham, who you know, again, not good at basketball, but I think probably a slightly better defender than Jorge Garbajosa, is the trade-off there significant enough? If you have Jorge in the defense, maybe falls off a bit, but the offense probably runs a hell of a lot smoother. And, you know, the offense in this series just did not click. The Raptors didn't score 100 in any game in the series. 98 was their high. Um, You know, they, they couldn't quite score on this Nets team, which, you know, not exactly loaded with incredible defenders. I mean, Vince was, you know, hit and miss. They had Mickey Moore and Jason Collins starting together. Richard Jefferson was very good, obviously, but this wasn't a team that was loaded with, like, just insane smothering wing defenders. So, maybe you're right. Maybe, like, how much do you think the offense would have benefited from having Jorge in that series? Because, again, like, Joey Graham stinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think the other thing, too, is it's
3: just the experience factor. Yeah. Um, where Garbajosa's played in all these big games for Spain, played in high leverage situations. Uh, for his club team in Europe. So I think that would have been a big factor. I think the biggest thing that the Nets had in their favor in that series was the experience, right? Like you look right. at Jason Kidd, Vince, and Jefferson. and They've just been through uh, a bunch of battles going into that series. And so I think having Garbalhosa would have just helped steady the ship. Um, offensively, you know – He's got a little bit of that, you know, bite-sized Marcus All feel where he can just help settle things down. Yeah. Um, and so I think that would have been the biggest difference. And and defensively, you know, I know he doesn't have the sort of the lateral quicks or whatever maybe, but he was just a smart defender too. Right. right. Like he, he just knew how to play position. He knew how to, you know, he pick up charges. Uh, he knew where to be on the floor. Um, and he was a, a sort of a A sneaky uh, steel getter too, Um, sort of had the tricks in his sleeve to pick your pocket. And so, um, yeah, I really think the upgrade at small forward would have made a big difference uh, in terms of how the series would have went. Um, You know, again, you expect the Raptors to lose Game One, but I think thereafter, uh, Garbajosa would have made a big difference.
2: It is certainly worth noting that in the six games of that series, uh, Joey Graham's offensive box plus minus was negative 7.4. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, it, during the regular season, Garbo was was like, like a slight negative as well, and he was actually a plus on defense, a plus 1.1 1. Mm. 1 defensive yeah. box plus minus. So maybe I'm undercutting his defensive chops a little bit there. But uh, yeah, Joey Graham was not an NBA player by this point, I don't think, as much as we really, really wanted him to be. He yeah. just—he never was going to be anything resembling a, a reliable rotation piece, and I, yeah, you're—you're you're probably right. Actually, now that I look back at these games, like yes, there were a couple blowouts in New Jersey. They're probably going to lose those anyway. But maybe they win Game One. You know, I know it's sacrilege to suggest the Raptors win at Game One, but maybe they do win that Game One, which they lose by five if they have a more sort of you know prolific offensive attack, and and it's not right such a it's not so you know, running through Joey Graham <laughs> or just having him out there being a waste of space, right? It's uh and then, you know, you have game seven as well or game six where they lose by one. That's a toss-up game two. So you do have a couple toss-ups in there that maybe Garbajos is enough to change things over because that is not a deep Nets team at all. It is no. basically Jefferson, Carter and Kid, and then everything after that is kind of trash, including future Raptors Antoine Wright and Hassan Adams. Uh who so- is just Boston John
3: Knockbar hitting a bunch of threes.
2: A lot of Bosch John Knockbar, yeah, uh, modern or early Bog- Bogdanovich uh, against the Raptors in a postseason series. Do uh, you
3: <laughs> also remember this being like the failed home court advantage uh,
2: where? The yes, Raptors- the red jerseys. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) So, a couple more interesting things about Jorge Garbojosa and his time with the team and what might have happened had they won this series that we'll get to in just a second. But first, I want to tell people about Blinkist, which is going to be, once you download it, the most useful app on your phone. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more, especially right now where you have your kids being homeschooled and it's uh, a lot of things to juggle while you're at home, even though you are at home. But there is an incredible app called Blinkist that solves this problem. Highly recommended. Blinkist is unique and works on your phone. tablet your web browser it takes the best key takeaways the need to know info from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well known for how many books they read. Blinkist helps you, the busy person, get those main points of those books into your brain like a quick little download and its audio feature as well makes it super easy to finish a book while you're doing another task, while you're commuting, you're on your lunch break, you're exercising, you're cooking dinner, so many places in which you can listen to Blinkist as well. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and it has a massive and grow, growing library from self-help, business and health to history books and they have the latest titles from bestsellers lists as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but you never had time to and it's wonderful. Again, 15 minutes. Sometimes you don't want to read a big 600 word book on American history but if you have a 15 minute download to put in your brain with the need to know stuff that you're going to take from that book anyway, it's perfect. There are popular books as well available on Blinkist including Upheaval, Turning Points for Nations and crisis by jared diamond or the four-hour work week by tim ferris on the sports side of things you've got secrets of power negotiating by roger dawson as well as this is your brain on sports by john wertheim and sam summers uh, and again you can go to blinkist and get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books all the books you want for one low price right now for a limited time blinkist has a special offer for your for our audience go to blinkist.com Slash NBA, try for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you're also going to save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA.
0: No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. file with 100% accuracy, and get you your max refund, guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.
2: All right, Big V. So uh, funnily enough, uh, another net series loss came with a chance to play LeBron James and his (laughs) team, different team in this situation, but a LeBron James team nonetheless in the second round. Of course, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers were very LeBron-heavy. They go to the finals this year, I believe, in 2007, right? Yeah. yeah. This is when yeah. they play the Spurs and get swept in the finals. Uh, you got LeBron Larry Hughes, Drew Gooden, Big Z, Sasha Pavlovich is at starting five. Danielle Marshall's on that team. On Anderson Barajow's there. Eric Snow, of course, is there. Uh, Ira Nuble, other you know names from deep in the depths of former LeBron James teammates. Uh, Vivek, do you think the Raptors, if they win that series with Jorge Garbajos on hand, give any trouble to the New, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, or do they lose that series pretty handily?
3: I think they give them trouble. I didn't think give them run for their money. I still expect the Cavs to win it. I think this was um, after LeBron's first playoff appearance the year before. I think you know he had really taken a step forward. This was the year I think he has that series against Detroit. He has that game where he scores 29 of the final 30 points. So I think he was just a man on a mission. And so I do think the Cavs would have won anyway, but I think it would have been a really, really fun series. Um, I, you would, you would have had, uh, you know, the fun trash talking. I think this was the year that, you know, the wraps were up big and Chris Bosh's girlfriend sort of made those comments to LeBron and then he went off uh, and they won the game. So, You would have had that sort of spice to it. And then I think Chris Bosh and LeBron James, you know, coming from that same draft class, um, that head-to-head would have been fun. Uh, You would have had the all-Euro-center matchup between Esterevich and Ogalskis, uh, you know, just popping mid-range jumpers all over the place. Um, Yeah, I think this could have been a fun series, maybe six, maybe seven. But, uh, yeah, uh, I I do think LeBron would have won out in the end as – he seemed to always do against the Raptors.
2: Yeah. The Cavs did beat the nets in the six games. A lot of those games, pretty lopsided a couple of close ones here and there. And of course the nets pulled up too, but for the most part, uh, pretty much in control for Cleveland in this one. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it would have been certainly good early Lebronto fodder. Uh, it would have certainly <laughs> added extra juice to the later matchups for sure and extra, I guess, toil for Raptors fans if we both think the Cavs would have won this series, which I think they would have in five or six probably. LeBron was just so much better than anybody on those teams. And as much as we love Jorge Garbajosa, I can't imagine him trying to guard LeBron James uh, <laughs> or anyone on that team trying to guard LeBron. Like That would have been... An absolute nightmare. At least the 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 Nets had. You know they could throw Mickey Moore and Richard Jefferson out there for at least a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that that would have not gone well. Um, I, I, I think they lose that series. I guess the interesting thing then is if Garbosa doesn't get hurt and comes back the next season. In 07 08, do things go differently for the team? Because that's obviously a very disappointing year. They kind of uh, regress a little bit. They finish 42 and 40. They get uh, very unceremoniously dispatched by the Orlando Magic in the first round. You know, I don't necessarily know if that team wins any rounds the following season, but they might not get lined up against the Magic. And if you're not up against the Magic or the Cavs that season, anything's kind of possible, I suppose. Although I guess this is also a Celtics year, too, where they kind of come in and that top of the conference with Detroit at the tail end is very good as well. Do you think anything changes for the fortunes of the team for the next few years based on that 0708 season if Jorge is available to play that entire year?
3: I, I think things might change a little bit, but I think this is where we started to see the the downside of uh, Colangelo where it was like, okay, this was a failure. Now we got to change everything. And it was, you know, we, we pretty much saw um, a different roster the next year where he was trying to get in, you know, we had Jason Capono coming into Mario moon, um, Carlos Delfino who I really enjoyed watching. Yeah. But yeah, I think there was just, a little bit too much change too quickly and then obviously the year after that I think we saw Jermaine O'Neal come in so I think this this is where just not allowing a team to just build chemistry and sort of absorb the losses together kind of hurt them Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that hurt them more than anything Um, and the chemistry wasn't the same it was you know it was kind of like they found lightning in a bottle that first season and Things sort of tailed off pretty quickly after that.
2: Yeah, you lose Mo Pete that season. Uh, Jason Capono is a great disappointment, obviously. Uh, you know, you kind of get like tail end of Rosho as he's kind of getting washed a little bit. Just mm-hmm. not the same mix. And yeah, because of the strength of the top of the East at that time with Boston, Detroit, Cleveland, and Orlando, I don't think they get out of the first round either way, even if yeah. they are a four or five or, a five or six seed. Uh, which is probably the most you could have hoped for for this team. I, they were, again, 41 and 41. I misspoke. They they just barely scratched a 500 record. Um, pretty uninspiring stuff. And then obviously T.J. Ford gets dealt for Jermaine O'Neal, and that very fun era quickly comes to a extremely unceremonious end. Um, the the depressing thing that I wanted to throw your way, uh, Vivek, before we wrap up here. Where do you think Jorge Garbajosa? All 67 games that he played averaging eight points, five boards, and two assists. Where does he rank among all-time Chris Bosh Raptors teammates? Because it's, I think it's depressingly high, and that bums me out.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, that,
3: that's the saddest part of the Chris Bosh era. Right? There was never anyone, there was no legit star beside him in his time here. I mean, based on the resume, you probably have to say the best player he's played with is Hiro Turkoglu. Obviously that didn't pan out in Toronto. Um,
2: outside of Vince early on, right? Or are we talking all oh, 06, right. six Yeah, 06 yeah. I guess
3: that that very small window of Vince. Uh, yeah, I guess then you gotta factor in Jalen Rose and Antonio Davis too.
2: Well let's say that the Sam Mitchell the, the Colangelo era on because, you know, the the guys who Bosch came up with it was never like they they lined up timeline wise or anything like that. And you know things were already in transition when Bosch came in. So we'll, we'll say Colangelo era.
3: Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, sad to say Gar- Garbajosa might be, he's definitely in the top 10. Yes. Um, he, he's probably top seven. Cause okay. You'd have to say TJ Ford's better than him. Jose's better than him. Um, I'd give Anthony Parker a slight not, edge as well. Definitely. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of slim pickings from there. Yeah, it's, it's I, like, how much you, do you, you care about Jamario Moon?
2: Yeah, Rosho's probably there. I think he, he did more over the time, probably, than than Jorge did. Right. Yeah.
3: So, Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's tough. So fucking
2: dark stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, that, that that's probably
3: the biggest reason why Chris Bosch gets knocked so much, right? It's like you look at the history and it's like, oh, you didn't you didn't win much and you didn't do really do anything in the playoffs. It's like, well, look around him.
2: Yeah. It a a lot, lot of Roko Ukic, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Jorge Garbajosa. Uh, it would have been cool to see him kind of gel with like that Calderon bosh parker core that they had going there tj ford too i I, like ford i think he's probably the answer as the best bosh teammate in this time at least like his peak like he was he was wonderful before things went downhill for him but um yeah it's uh it's not a fun as much as it's been fun i think to sort of look back on different eras of the raptors in light of the title to kind of you know be able to like bask in the in the glow that it was even though none of those seasons ended the way you want them to this era still even with the glow of the title is not very illuminated <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty dark stuff and uh, I'm frankly happy to uh, never talk about it ever again I'm glad that we <laughs> talked about it today this was a lovely conversation Big V but uh, uh, if we can never discuss the uh, the Patrick O'Brien era ever again I think I'm pretty good. Um, right. Do you have any parting shots on, uh, on, on Jorge Garbajosa or anything like that? who is, of course, now the president of the Spanish Basketball Federation? Yeah, of course
3: he is. Um, and no, 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 Parni Shanti. It was, it was a short, sweet ride. Um, I, th- I think he sort of endeared himself to the fan base and the city pretty quickly because I think even in years past where he's made random appearances uh, and he's been spotted in the crowd, he's received a nice ovation. Yeah. So you get a feel for how much... Uh, people sort of valued his hard-nosed play in the short tenure that he had. So, yeah, I got, I got nothing but respect for that guy um, to just a damn shame uh, what happened in Boston.
2: I think he's kind of on the tier of, like, Bismack Biombo in terms of, like, fan adoration per minute played. <laughs> he's right up there uh like you're right he, he gets one of the biggest ovations whenever he shows up at a, i think he was at a playoff game last season if i'm not mistaken um right like cheer on marcus all and serge abaca and whatnot but yeah he's he's definitely up there in terms of guys who played one season with the team this is maybe a dumb blog i'm gonna do at some point uh dive it into sounds like single it. season fan favorites oh shit i just signed myself up for some work um <laughs> but yeah that, that's uh He's a, he's a fun player, and uh, it's it's a real shame the way it ended for him. But he had himself a damn successful career, and so like overseas as well. So I, I'm glad he came to the NBA, got to prove it a little bit that he could hack it over here. I'm not sure how much better he was ever going to get. He was 29, 30 years old when he was in the NBA. So like I'm not sure where he was on the development curve outside of just like getting more acquainted to the speed of the NBA game. But even if he was 8'5" and two with you know solid defense as a as a weirdly like gangly and big, small forward at the time. You know, He'd absolutely be a four in today's game. There's no question about that. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting what if, and I'm glad you posed this one, Big V, because uh, never Actually, a bad can time. I, can I ask
3: you one last question? Yeah, what's up? Just thinking out loud as you were saying all this stuff, do you think how Chris Bosch is viewed changes at all if they win that series and then they have a really fun series against LeBron?
2: Interesting. Uh, maybe a little bit. Although, it, it, in hindsight, like, maybe that series is viewed as sort of, like, fuel for the super team in, in Miami. Uh, like, even more. Sort of, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, okay, well, Bosh, we know, is very good now. Uh, let's go recruit him to join me in D-Wade type of thing. Um, right. But, yeah, maybe. Like, if he had, yeah, because he never really got the chance to have a playoff moment, right? Like, he mm-hmm. that, that, that net series, they were diminished, and you don't have a standout game there. And that's partly on Bosch. I mean, he could have had himself a game if he really wanted to, um, but he didn't. And, you know, you have the the next series, which is just the most depressing series loss you'll ever see to the magic. And we've had this conversation, right? I was trying to think back of like the best individual performances in Raps history. And it's so hard to find Bosch games that stand out against the backdrop because so many of them are just the same formula. Oh, he had a really efficient game shooting 18 footers and he had a ton of rebounds. And that was just kind of his story. And a credit to him. He was damn good at that. But it just never lended itself. And the the roster around him never lent itself to having those moments. But yeah, you're probably right. Like if if Jorge's there for one fun run, then maybe they do actually kind of uh, change the way Bosch is viewed as a Raptor. Even though I don't think it changes the ultimate destiny of him going to the Heat. So, right. Interesting stuff. Uh, Big V, do you have anything you want to plug?
3: I uh, know you can just look out for my usual stuff at Complex. Um, there's more to come soon. I just did a five reasons why Nick nurse should be coach of the year uh, since everyone else has already written that column. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can go check that out at
2: complex and you can follow me on Twitter at the Jacob. Sweet. Uh, you can find me at Woodley Sean. You can go listen to uh basketball with myself and Katie Heindel. New episode dropped on Thursday night. Uh, and today I also have a piece up at Raptors HQ. I made an appearance. I'm out of pseudo retirement. I wasn't in retirement. I was just depressed from quarantine and playing too many video games. But I uh, got a piece up today about uh, the Raptor and the silliness of returning and all that stuff. Uh, you know, very me shit probably. Uh, we also uh, I'll probably have this blog now about fan favorites. Uh, <laughs> at some point coming up at some point soon um, so thank you so much for tuning in please go listen to yesterday's episode with Raptors 905 assistant Ryan Schmidt that was a lot of fun Ryan was great so I uh, hope you enjoyed that A uh, bit of a different look at the team and the CEBL and all that stuff and we'll be back again next week with uh, other stuff we got some fun plans on the schedule and we are probably going to have like actual real basketball news at some point here to talk about so keep an eye out for that next week as well on the podcast and we will talk to you on monday with another episode of locked on raptors